Welcome to another episode of Cross-Section, the official podcast of the Section on Neonatal Perinatal Medicine of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The neonatal section represents more than 3,500 neonatologists and clinicians who are committed to caring for the nation's smallest and most vulnerable patients. In Cross-Section, we hear firsthand from some of those individuals about their work. Hi, I'm John Zapanzik, and uh, we're here at the Vermont Oxford uh, Network, taking advantage of the opportunity to speak with uh, Stephen Patrick. Uh, hello, Stephen. Hello. Uh, Stephen is an assistant uh, professor of pediatrics and health policy at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. He completed his training in pediatrics, neonatology, and health services research as a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation clinical scholar at the University of, of Michigan, and um, subsequently his research has focused mainly on neonatal um, abstinence uh, syndrome, and it, uh, including the clinical and as well as the uh, state and federal drug control policy surrounding that issue. Stephen has previously served as a senior science policy advisor to the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. He's uh, offered to uh, speak with us today about um, CHIP and Medicaid. So. Nice Good, thank you. So um, I, I've heard from our members that they are generally supportive of the idea of improving children's health coverage, but they're a bit sometimes bewildered about the details of, of the types of um, government payment that, that are involved in the policy um, discussions around that. So we were wondering if you might help us to ex explore those and basically explain them. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I think are important to know. And the first is that we are at an all-time low in terms of uninsurance rates for kids. Mm -hmm. Only about 5% of kids nationally are uninsured. And that's really by no accident. It's really been by bipartisan support from both parties. It's really been a non-political issue in terms of getting coverage for kids. Mm. You know, the Medicaid program started in the 60s and in the late 90s, the Children's Health Insurance Program was born. And in part, that was to fill the gap of uh, kids who weren't poor enough to qualify for Medicaid, but were still uninsured. And between now and then, uh, an extra nine million kids have gotten coverage. Since enactment of CHIP. Yeah, that's right. So let's let's uh, uh, talk about those programs individually then. What, what exactly does Medicaid do? Medicaid is an entitlement program. And so what that means, if you qualify, you get coverage. And the way that works, it's a joint federal and state program. Uh, it is jointly funded uh, by the federal government and states using a formula uh, called the, the FMAP, and it basically looks at the poverty, how much the, the per capita income of a state calculates how much the state can get. Uh, so it is one specific program that covers, uh, traditionally it's covered children, pregnant women, uh, disabled, disabled adults, uh, and it pays for things like long-term care. Mm. And, and it's, it's a, a big pediatric program, is that right? I mean, how, how many kids, how, how much money are we talking about? We're here? talking about a lot of money and a lot of kids. Uh, and now today, Medicaid pays for about half of births mm. in the United States. And it's a really key part of the safety net for kids and for pregnant women nationally. Mm -hmm. And then uh, how about how about CHIP? You, you said that since it was enacted that an, an additional 9 million kids, and that's on top of the, around 30 or 35 million kids. And yeah, that's so, right. this, so this additional 9 million kids is covered by, by CHIP. What was the idea behind bringing, bringing that uh, program into, into being? Well, so again, it was to, to, we still had kids who were uninsured. And it was 1997, a bipartisan group came together to begin to fill that gap. 
And uh, CHIP is slightly different in that it's, a, it's a, not an entitlement program, and so there's been some flexibilities from the states. Um, so, it's, you know, again, it's today, it's not just that 9 million kids have been covered overall, it's 9 million kids are covered today by CHIP. Mm -hmm. And in some states, pregnant women are also covered. Mm -hmm. States had flexibility in how they implemented it. So in some states, it's a standalone program, and in some states, it's an expansion of their Medicaid program. Mm -hmm. And for some, because of that, in some ways, it's confusing for families. They don't know if they're in Medicaid or if they're in CHIP. And that may be one of the reasons why we don't hear people talking about CHIP. And we hear, at least more recently, we've heard more conversation around Medicaid. It's part of that confusion about what these programs do and who they cover. Many people, even in national surveys, don't know the difference between Medicaid and CHIP, even when they're on CHIP. Mm -hmm. When we talk about kids who are not covered by, by uh, Medicaid and kids who are then covered by CHIP, what I, I know it's it's variable from state to state, but what is the general range here? I mean, how far into poverty is a is does a family have to be before they qualify for Medicaid versus versus CHIP? It's different from state to state. Okay, thresholds are slightly different. Around that two hundred to three hundred percent of the federal poverty okay. level uh, is where most states are, and states can be pretty variable in terms of. Um, of, of some of their provisions. So there's certain populations that have to be, there are some um, that have to be covered, but there, uh, there is some difference from state to state mm -hmm. in terms of what per proportion of federal poverty level. And that's for, that's for um, the, the point at, up to which uh, Medicaid um, is, is kicking in. So the very bottoms, are like you know, the very bottom of that federal poverty level mm -hmm. is picked up by Medicaid. That middle part is where CHIP goes in. And just to give some context, so the federal poverty level, just like 100% of the federal poverty level for a family of four is around $24,000. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you can just multiply from there in terms mm -hmm. of understanding who might be eligible. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's traditionally been an issue is that people didn't know they were eligible. And so some expansions in coverage, we've seen this spill over, like for the Affordable Care Act, even Medicaid expansions have also pulled in kids into CHIP because people didn't know they were eligible. And how, how can our patients' families find out if they're eligible? Um, most, every state Medicaid agency has, uh, has a site. You can also go to healthcare.gov to find out more information about where you might be eligible. Um, but, but you can get information as well from your state Medicaid agency. And so um, Medicaid was, was the main focus of the um, advocacy by the um, pediatrics community in the spring and, and, and summer, um, what, can, can we can you describe for us what that was what that was about? What was what was the threat to Medicaid essentially leading? There up were to multiple threats threats to Medicaid. Uh, so there was a again uh, Medicaid is an entitlement. So if you qualify, you get that. Uh, there was a push in all of the bills that were proposed to make Medicaid a block grant mm -hmm. and uh, to control the rate of growth, tying that to inflation and different, actually there are different proposals, but tying it to a slow great, uh, rate of growth over time. The concern being that uh, many kids, other people that are on Medicaid would lose coverage and it made Medicaid not responsive to acute needs within a state. So let's say there's an opioid epidemic or mm -hmm. there's a Zika outbreak uh, and you have a block grant, who, who gets coverage and who doesn't get coverage? Um, so it was really a fundamental change. It wasn't just the narrative that we're hearing was the, on a repeal of the Affordable Care Act. It was more than that. It was, uh, some people would say it's for repeal of Johnson Care from, mm. from, uh, from uh, you know, the, the 60s. Mm. It was a fundamental change to Medicaid. And I think we're fortunate, at least for now, that we've, we've dodged that, that bullet to, that would have been, um, that essentially every major healthcare organization, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, opposed because of its damage to the safety mm -hmm. net. And, and that would have had a, a, a big impact on, a, on our 
population since, um, as you said, it covers a, a high percentage of, of births, but also of, of the infants after birth in the neonatal intensive care unit. That's right. Um, so so uh, the, the threats to Medicaid that we were talking about in this, um, over the past few months have been tied to repeal and replace of the Affordable Care Act. So uh, for our listeners, what's the, what's the difference between Medicaid and, and the uh, Affordable Care Act or Obamacare? So Medicaid has been around since the 60s. And while it's expanded over time, it was initially put forth, again, for those who were disabled, pregnant women, and infants. Uh, the Affordable Care Act was passed to expand coverage, and it included an expansion of Medicaid to previously uneligible populations, mostly adults without kids. States, that's been the Medicaid expansion you hear so much talking about. Some states adopted that expansion, and some states didn't. One of the other things that it did that is not talked about, it improved a lot of the things about insurance coverage in the private insurance market, particularly among people that, would, uh, that didn't get insurance from their employer. So before the Affordable Care Act was passed, there were things like lifetime caps on care uh, that were pretty restrictive in some cases, $100,000, million dollars, depends on what that was, but the Affordable Care Act got rid of those things. It allowed people to stay on their parents' insurance to 26. It did very important protections. The other thing that it did is it created the the health insurance exchanges uh, where people could buy coverage on the health insurance exchange and it was subsidized based upon their income. That's been, of course, of some controversy lately. Uh, what have those exchanges done? Uh, is the coverage affordable? How can we make it more affordable? The payments that there have been so much, dis- so much discussion, the CSR payments, are a key part of that. And it's a little bit complicated. We can talk about that more if you'd like to. But uh, that's really the difference in the Affordable Care Act. It was on top of the existing system and trying to fix some of those issues with, uh, with individ- individual coverage. I see. Okay. One thing that is helpful to know is um, one of the things that happened in the Affordable Care Act was a bump in CHIP payment. Mm. So the, the match for CHIP has always been a little bit higher than Medicaid. In the Affordable Care Act, there was a bump that made it almost entirely federally funded. Um, and there was a couple other provisions. There's a ma- maintenance of effort provision that basically says states can't drop a bunch of people off the, the roll. That was all in the Affordable Care Act. Both bills in the House and Senate take back some of that extra bump in funding from the federal government to the state, um, but it just it's, it just goes back to where it was before the Affordable Care Act. It still maintains the coverage, um, and, and those are all still important pieces. Bridge, I see. Okay, so so we have um, we have Medicaid, a program that's been around for a very long time and and is uh, a core program for our patients in neonatology and pediatrics, and then we have the Affordable Care Act that that uh, ex- expanded Medicaid um, to some extent and also provided some additional protections and, and enhancements of, of coverage for babies. So it seems that the at least for the time being that the acute threats to to those two programs through efforts to repeal and replace seem to be somewhat dormant. Um, but there's there's this other program that you mentioned, uh, CHIP. So how, how does CHIP uh, add on to, to uh, Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act? So the Children's Health Insurance Program, the way it's written is that it has to be reauthorized. The funds have to be reauthorized over a period of time. Uh, and so it was due to be reauthorized September 30th, and thus far Congress has not done anything. Uh, the Senate bill that's been proposed provides a five-year extension uh, to coverage. It makes a few other changes, but in general it's one that at least the American Academy of Pediatrics supports. The area of contention thus far has been in the House side, and it has to do with how they're paying for an extension of, of CHIP. 
there are uh, the pay-fors. And so one of the key issues are uh, changes to Medicare and Medicaid. Some of those issues are kind of uh, silly, like one of the Medicaid issues that they're going to use to pay for are uh, to people that win the lottery. They can't get Medicaid anymore. So fine. I think that's, that's fine. I, we, we, we can all probably agree that people that win the lottery don't need Medicaid. But they're also using funds from the Public Health Fund that was part of the Affordable Care Act, and that's been uh, talked about a lot politically. And so that's really what's delaying. It's, it's thus far, it's been that extension, that, that conversation about uh, how to pay for this. Mm-hmm. I think for me, as a, as a, as a pediatrician and a neonatologist, uh, I mean, we haven't seen a delay like this in CHIP. Uh, and uh, I just want them to get it done. Like, mm-hmm. you know, let's take the, the politics out of this and just do what's right. We're starting to see uh, there are states that are having to figure out now that the programs elapsed how they're how they're gonna how they're gonna pay for their existing programs and at some point there's a lot of worries that people will start disenrolling kids because they don't have any money in the states to pay for this any longer. So when chip um, when the authorization expired at the end of September, wh- what happened to all those, those uh, children who were who were covered by it? Have they already lost their coverage and are are, are waiting to uh, get it back? How are they receiving their care? Not yet. States still have some funds and there's been some emergencies reallocation of funds to pay for it. Uh, the states are getting some exceptions, but they're starting to worry. We've seen like Minnesota's a case where they've reallocated some funds, uh, but even from Utah they're, they're talk, they've had some provisions to completely eliminate their program. None of that's happened yet, so there's still time to act. Uh, and there's talk, more talk now in the, in the House side about getting this to move forward in the coming uh, days to week. So hopefully that will go forward. But, um, but if Congress doesn't act soon, states are going to have to figure out what to do. Most states have to have a balanced budget. Uh, they can't just pull in money from somewhere. And so uh, they're stuck in a pretty perilous situation from a state perspective. And so... Um, Congress needs to do their job and get this done. And, and it, in Congress, it sounds like it's being used as essentially a political bargaining chip, is that? That's how it appears to, yeah. to me as well. And so here's hoping that we can see some action to see it pass through. Um, and I think if uh, one of the questions, at least for me as a, as a pediatrician, is why does this have to be reauthorized every five years? Mm-hmm. Can we have a longer landscape so we don't go through this every time? But I think at this stage, if we can just get through, particularly the Senate bill, that would be great. It's, it's interesting when... It, it, it seemed like it was a very uh, a, a bipartisan approach prior prior to this, and it's it's strange that it, that has uh, kind of broken down this this year. So Congress is is trying to figure out a way forward. What else is being done by the academy, or and and what can our what can our members do if they want to try to help fix this problem? Uh, visit and call your your member of Congress, particularly your House members. Yeah, it does. So they. They catalog when people call, when pediatricians call, it carries a lot of weight um, as a profession. We're, we're, uh, we're well respected. Uh, the AAP's Washington office is, is fantastic. Uh, they can be a resource too in terms of getting fact sheets about what CHIP does in your state. Another resource to get data from, uh, you can go to statehealthfacts.org or Kaiser Family Foundation to get information about CHIP in your state. But call, and it's quick. If you just call, have a quick conversation for you know a couple minutes, tell your story about you know you're a pediatrician and unitologist, and you're worried about that. That that matters. That drives. That's what mattered through the recent debate around the Affordable Care Act. It's people talking about patients, people talking about their stories. Um, it matters, and so our voice matters. And I, I would encourage everybody to uh, call, visit, write editorials. Excellent. Great. 
Well, thank you very much for uh, taking time out. I know you have to get back to the poster session at, <laughs> at Vaughan, but um, thanks very much and we'll look forward to having you. I'd, I'd like to have you back on to talk about uh, NAS at some point in the future and hepatitis C as well. So. It's a pleasure as always. Sir. Okay. Thank you, Steve. Thank you.